everyone knows every lick, it seems, you know? For me, maybe it's not as much about, like, here's my lick that I do and nobody else has done, but it's just, like, how I stand and how I play and how I interact with other musicians or maybe how I think about the rhythm or how my phrasing is when I'm improvising. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Keith Billick, and thanks for joining me for another episode of the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. Hope you're all having a great day. I've actually had a couple good weekends in a row from a banjo playing standpoint recently. As I announced the last episode, I taught at a camp called the Great Lakes Music Camp a couple weekends ago, and I can't say enough good things about that. You should all check it out. It's at greatlakesmusic.org, and every year in in early October, they put together a a very talented list of instructors, and I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. I I was by far the least deserving of, of the cast there. So it's just great to be around all those talented people. And I know I have some listeners who are there. So if I met you at camp and, uh, and you're listening, I'm sure you agree how, how good of a time it was. And it's right on Lake Michigan. It's great. So check that out if you have a chance. And then just this past weekend, I have a, a good friend and a talented songwriter named Rochelle Clark who had me go into the studio with her and we... Uh, assembled a pretty good band and recorded a good handful of her songs and it was sounding really good when I left and looking forward to hearing the finished product. I'm sure I'll be posting about that when it's available on all sorts of social media. So if you'd like to hear about those things, track me down, follow me on social media and that's how you can also find out about the podcast too. So on Facebook, I'm Picky Fingers. If you want to follow me on Instagram, That's picky underscore fingers. Or if you're on Twitter, follow me at Banjo Podcast. And like I said, I'll make any announcements about recordings I'm involved with, camps, teaching things, podcasty things, other random banjo things. That's where I am. So track me down. Any feedback or comments or suggestions, anything like that related to the show, or it doesn't have to be related to the show. Just ask me about anything. It's cool. Uh, get a hold of me at pickyfingersbanjopodcast at gmail.com. If you remember last episode, I asked for your suggestions of cool recently released banjo music. And I did get some really good responses out of that. Still looking for more suggestions if anyone has them. Just a reminder, basically what I'm looking for is just cool recordings that have come out uh, within like the last year or so that you think I should be aware of that has really excellent banjo playing on it. Feel free to email me those suggestions. Once again, pickyfingersbanjopodcast at gmail.com. And I know I just threw a whole lot of information at you, but perhaps the most important website for me to tell you about is the Patreon page. It's patreon.com slash banjopodcast. And basically the Patreon page is the way that if you are able to afford throwing me a few bucks a month, to help offset the costs and and my time in creating this podcast. That's how you do that. And I very much appreciate those of you who have done that. Today, I have to acknowledge a couple specific Patreon supporters. The first one is a gentleman named Anthony. And Anthony is actually a former student of BB Bonuses. So he was, I, I love it when this happens, when I get a supporter email and he wrote me to specifically suggest 
that I have BB Bonus on a future episode. And so it makes me feel really cool when I can respond to him with like, well, actually, she's uh, she's coming up in one of the next episodes. So as one of her former students, Anthony was really excited to be able to support this specific episode. So Anthony, thank you so much. And he also, oh, I almost forgot. He also mentioned that he is expecting, or at the time that he emailed me, he was expecting twin boys due in October, which should be like any minute now. So Anthony, if you already have those new additions to your family, congratulations and buckle up, man. Twin boys. I can't even, I can't even imagine. I have a couple kids, but they weren't, they didn't show up at the same time. So they eased me in, you know, slowly. So Wow, I can't even imagine. So good luck. Thank you for your support. And uh, hope you hope you have time to listen in between uh, diaper changing and trying to get some sleep. Uh, the next supporter of the show, Bradley Green. I don't have too much information about, about Bradley Green, but Brad, if you're out there, I'm sure glad that you found the podcast, that you found it enjoyable, and that you chose to support it. So once again, for the rest of you, uh, patreon.com slash banjo podcast even a few bucks a month really helps keep these episodes coming out uh, which i enjoy making and hopefully you enjoy listening to today's episode features a phenomenal banjoist named bb bonus you'll hear all about her activities but basically she's she's a part of a multiple ibma momentum award-winning group called mile 12 and they have probably quicker than almost any other band just risen through the ranks of the bluegrass world they're they're really working hard and they're all a very talented bunch of people every time i pay attention bb's out jamming with bela fleck or mile 12 has some really cool gig or she's teaching at more camps or just otherwise making a really great name for herself and she deserves all of it she's a great player The thing I admire most about her is that she is just fearless. She is absolutely committed to playing the song and the arrangements and doing what's best for the performance. But I think she really shines when you can get her in a situation where she's improvising more and you'll really see her go for some challenging, challenging things. And it's always exciting just to see how a a real master of the instrument takes themselves out on those limbs and manages to more times than not land on their feet it definitely doesn't happen that way for me most of the time so i just have to uh to watch and be impressed and enjoy the conversation that i get to have so here you go here is bb bonus of mile 12. Zealand. I grew up there on the North Island and I found the banjo because a friend of my parents played banjo and guitar and so we kind of just discovered him by accident. We were painting his house one day and, and saw a picture of him with a banjo and I didn't know what instrument it was. I was like, what? It's not many banjo players in New Zealand. So were you already was, into music before that? I was, yeah. I was okay. taking guitar lessons. I'd had, I don't know, a half dozen so I knew how to yeah. do like a couple of chords. So I wasn't very invested in that yet. I was like 12 years old. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, but I really um, loved it. And so he took it out and hadn't been playing it too much, but he played us a tune and I just like the sound of it. 
And he also, he said something that kind of, I'm a very stubborn person apparently. <laughs> okay. So he said, um, oh, the banjo is very hard, but we can start with guitar lessons if you want. Okay. And just that like, oh, I'm allowed to play the guitar, but the banjo is too hard. Yeah. Kind of made, it, uh, he just said the right thing, I guess. For you my took that as a, like a personal challenge exactly. of something to, to overcome. Exactly. So right. yeah, the lesson started as guitar lessons with a little banjo at the end. And then after like three lessons, it was just all banjo. So now that you're having some success, have you reached out to him and been like, here's to your guitar lessons, buddy? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I wish. Actually, sadly, he passed away. But, okay. Um, but yeah. yeah. But it's great to go back home. And this is definitely a lot of people that I see, you know, from when I was a kid. And they sort of remember me. So was that guy, was he Was he a New Zealander too? Or yeah. was he like an American? Or how? do you have any idea how he ended up with it? Just one of those random things? Very random. He, yeah. he lived in a small town of like 5,000 people. So it's right. so unusual that he played the banjo. But he played because his dad was a luthier. So mm-hmm. his dad made guitars and banjos and his brother played as well. And okay. actually it turns out in the 1970s, ish era there were a lot of banjo players in New Zealand <laughs> I, have, yeah. I would have no idea about that yeah it's it's kind of strange there was this one band that formed called the Hamilton County Bluegrass Band mm-hmm. and they were awesome there's great YouTube documentaries of them still on online oh, so definitely check them check out. That out it's so cool but they they just um headed off and, and started traveling around New Zealand and they got on this TV show. I think it was called Country Roads or something, but it was a mm-hmm. national TV show in New Zealand. A pleasure, and we are so pleased that you're enjoying our new show, our chorale, our augmented, our bigger and brighter than ever Country Touch. I think we'll finish this show by, incidentally, the requests can be for songs that have been used on the show. For instance, this one. This is a repeat of a great old number, I Saw the Light. And to play it for us, to finish up the show, see you next week. Hamilton County Bluegrass Band, folks. So lots of people knew what bluegrass was. My oh, grandmother's generation all knew it, but my generation has no idea. Or they do a little bit for various reasons now. But Would that um, be similar to like the Beverly Hillbillies here phenomenon where a, a whole generation of Americans were exposed that way through the I think the so. Show? Yeah. yeah, and then also like our brother were out there did the same thing. Yeah, right? and deliverance. Yeah, yeah. yeah every, every generation has its pop culture touchstone for Blue entering grass. into the to the banjo. Yeah, it's strange, yeah. So after you found that, how did you actually get access to one? Are they difficult to, to find over there, or how did you actually begin learning? Well, I took lessons from him. Now, he wasn't a teacher uh, at that point. I was his only student, as far as I know, but I took weekly lessons from him. I think he charged me like $10 or something amazing like uh-huh. that, and we'd sit down and play... And it was incredible because he 
he was kind of like a, a lone musician, a lone bluegrass musician in the middle of New Zealand. And he had discovered Bela Fleck and Tony Trishka mm-hmm. and, um, you know, all these Tony Rice and all these people back, you know, in the 90s yeah. um, when they were touring over here, but he was in New Zealand. So he had all these, um, or a, a few tab books and things of like Drive and o- other okay. other stuff. So, yeah. you know, eventually I kind of started hitting that way. And he w- he was listening to bluegrass and more into fiddle tunes and melodic. And so he just kind of taught me that sort of stuff. I, and the first banjo I owned was one of his, that his dad built, that he sold to me for 500 New Zealand dollars. <laughs> and what does that translate to? Or what oh, does that like convert 300 to? 300 and something, you okay. know. Okay, yeah. so relatively <laughs> inexpensive. Yeah, it wasn't a good banjo. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, who were the players that you liked? You said that he found Bela and Tony. Were those, I mean, were you kind of just exposed to whatever he was playing for you? Yeah, Are kind of. Are those the of. players you were into? Yeah, we, um, this was like a little bit before YouTube was really possible. Like mm-hmm. dial-up internet existed, but it would take so long to like yeah, load a video. a video is just right. Yeah. So, so, but uh, luckily, um, some other people moved to this small town in New Zealand. The town is called Martin, and they were a family of fiddlers. And they ha- also had some, just by chance, he was into old time and bluegrass music. And mm-hmm. so he had Drive, I think, and he had like some other, he had Deliverance by the soundtrack for Deliverance. Yeah, yeah. And he had like four or five CDs that we, um, his sons and, and myself all hung out and listened to. As teenagers. Were they playing too? Did you have anyone to play with? Yeah, I did. And that's probably the reason I keep going was um, especially one of their sons, George Jackson. He now lives in Nashville, um, Tennessee, and he's still playing fiddle. But he and I like grew up for a a couple of years here just practicing together and jamming and learning how to improvise. And he was already pretty good at violin because his parents played, but Mm -hmm. he was in love with the banjo. So we kind of hung out and like learned banjo together. Played the the hillbilly music. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So you said you hung out and improvised. Was that something that you tried to learn pretty early on? That's, that's usually like a really scary mountaintop that people try to get over. But that was something that you had an early awareness about? I guess because of this friend of mine and his dad, you know, improvised. So um, yeah. there was a little bit of help there and kind of a scene. But, but I say improvised. We, we tried to. <laughs> I don't think we really were yeah. probably. It's hard to remember. But yeah. Um, but we were just really, um, we we're just having a good time. We just were pretty driven. You mm-hmm. know, we were both homeschooled and um, our families actually traveled around in these like homemade trucks and buses and things called the Gypsy Fair. So it was this whole like traveling. There was about fifty families that all traveled around together. What? But, yeah. So it was kind of bizarre. But we, because we were homeschooled, we had you know we'd make this little schedule for ourselves. We'd get up and and like go for a jog together, and then we'd do our homework separately together, oh. and then we'd have the afternoon to just hang out and play banjo. That um, is so cool. Yeah. So it was really fun. So there's a just a. Does that still happen? It These, does. Like hippie. Yeah. Is it hippie-ish? Yeah, is it is kind of hippie. Yeah, okay. my family, um, my parents weren't really hippie types. They actually owned a fish and chip shop, classic New Zealand profession, <laughs> for 17 years. But they decided... Did you the newspaper? Yeah, the newspaper. Okay. Yeah, I would actually wrap them when I was like 10. Right. <laughs> so I got good at wrapping. But yeah, they, they did that for long enough to know that they didn't want to do that for any, any longer. Yeah. It's a very hard job. Um, yeah. So they decided, you know what, life's short, we'll build a truck and we'll travel around the country and we'll put the kids in homeschool. And yeah, it was, it was fun. It was a pretty unique way to, way to grow up, you know. At what point do you think you started 
developing your own style on the instruments, was there any light bulb moment that you had or things that you would try to do where you, I don't know, that, that you tried to kind of carve your own way? Do you remember anything um, like that? I honestly, I feel like that's only just starting to happen for me now and really? only in like subtle ways, but maybe it's just harder to notice like your own kind of style things. Yeah. Um, it's easier to maybe see that in other people. But. Well, then let's talk about now. Like, what do you, what do you think that you're doing now or what types of things do you work on in your own playing that, that you think are unique or have allowed you to express your ideas mm. a little better? It's a good question. It's yeah, really it's, hard to, you know, a it's tough like one. Sometimes you don't really think about that stuff. But I think sometimes a person's style is almost just like their touch on the instrument, you know, just how they hit the strings or how they, um, you know, I don't know exactly. But it's hard with bluegrass too because there is just so much common vocabulary. Like everyone knows every lick it seems, you know. So it's, mm -hmm. it's not, for me maybe it's not as much about like, here's my lick that I do and nobody yeah. else has done, but it's just like how I stand and how I play and how I interact with other musicians or maybe how I think about the rhythm or, you know, improvise, how, how my phrasing is when I'm improvising. Which might, might be not different. have been anything that you ever actually worked on. It might no. just be what happens. Exactly. You have your sense of, of timing and, and yeah. things that happen. And, and I think maybe historically I, I tend to, um, I think a lot of players, uh, this is something I'm trying to actually work out of, but it's a lot of players are very busy and play lots of notes and have this consecutive eighth note thing going on. I think yeah. historically I'm totally fine with space. I just stop, you know. Yeah. But um, but I understand that there's this drive that happens with the consecutive eighth notes that is so much a part of bluegrass. Um, it feels wrong when you've trained yourself so much to play these roles and get everything evenly and da 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 da. Yeah. Um, it it just feels wrong when to stop when that doesn't happen <laughs> all the time. Right. Yeah. So I think that's uh, a good point. I, so when I got to be you know eighteen and I was figuring out, well, do I get a job? Do I move to America? Do I what do I do? I decided to go to school for music and mm -hmm. I studied um, at the New Zealand School of Music and I majored in jazz because the only two options really were jazz or classical and yeah. I couldn't really imagine trying to do classical on the banjo. Yeah. But jazz and bluegrass is some similarities, like mainly improvising. Yeah. So I think the space thing and the phrasing thing has somewhat come oh, from oh, that. Yeah. Even though, big time. Yeah, I can't really, if you were to like, let's jam on a jazz tune, I'd be like, whoa, <laughs> um, hold uh -huh. on now. But some of that has probably infiltrated my psyche. <laughs> How did they teach you on banjo? I imagine there was probably not a professor. For banjo? Yeah. <laughs> Jazz. No, I mean, there wasn't. Is, is There's that probably too not much even of a hunch? Here, is there? <laughs> well, there is, I guess, at Berkeley. At, like, at Berkeley, they do, but that, even that is only in relatively recent history. History, yeah. Been, been the case. Yeah. And usually it's bluegrass, too. Like, I know, and, you know, I don't think they're like this is the jazz banjo program or the classical banjo pro you know it's just like here's the string here's the roots department I think I, I was gonna yeah. say yeah I think that's what they call it the acoustic roots music yeah I don't know I should probably look it up before I start <laughs> saying things that aren't on the true, podcast people are gonna be writing to you <laughs> oh yeah get the hate mail the, those Berkeley death threats <laughs> yeah so but it was a great experience because I was I was not even in any way possible playing bluegrass because there wasn't too many people to play with. So for three years, two of them, I was just in New Zealand hanging out with saxophone players and piano players and people yeah. my own age um, jamming on jazz. And it was like 
thrown in the deep end, you know, but it was it was really cool. So how did your technique have to adapt to that? Yeah, well, mostly single string. I, yeah. I know, like, people like Pat Cloud and stuff have gotten great at doing melodic jazz. Uh-huh. That I could never figure that out because I think one of the main things with jazz is you want to be able to, um, what's it called? Um, <laughs> swing. You want to swing the notes, mm-hmm. right? So some of them are shorter than others and some of them are longer. And you can control the note length if it's a closed... <laughs> A closed single string thing, but it's harder to do that melodic. Yeah, you can't yeah. stop the note quite as effectively. Also, it doesn't make any sense <laughs> to me. Melodic style is no, it's very it, yeah. bizarre. Yeah, it's it it gets pretty overwhelming and daunting. Yeah, very quickly. Yeah, to try and improvise in too. Like I feel like for throwing in a phrase or two or like a little cascading run or something is one thing, but to really be note for note improvising. In E flat, in melodic, yeah. it's it blows my mind that people can do that. Yeah, but. yeah, it's it's otherworldly for yeah. sure. So one of the first ways that I was aware of your playing was that video that you made of uh, the Tony Rice <laughs> yeah. solo that you played. I think that made the rounds a bit. What, what's your process for? I guess for one thing, why did you why did you even want to do <laughs> something like that? I don't know that it occurs to most players to transcribe a Tony Rice solo on yeah. the banjo, but then how do you tackle something like that? Yeah, it was, I was getting ready for a banjo camp, banjo camp north, mm-hmm. and I was trying to think of creative classes, you know, because it seems like a lot of people have done, the. Cl- you think of a class and it's like, oh, it's already been taught by great people, sure. Tony Trishka Alamander, you know, it's like, um, well, what can I think of to that's like a little different? And I, I, it was a friend of mine that mentioned, oh, Tony Rice on the banjo could be cool. And it's just sort of like ideas stuck with me for a while. Yeah. I think it was a, another year or so before I was like, all right, well, let's just try this and see if it's even possible. Hard. Um, there's oct- yeah. octave changes all over the place, um, and some of it isn't even really like my cup of tea. You know, it's very um, okay. bluesy and very full on. <laughs> I, I love his playing, but mm. um, I, I wouldn't naturally like improvise those types of ideas, I guess. But as a technical challenge, it was so good. And oh, it, every time I relearn it now, I've taught it at a couple of different camps. It's like. Still, I'm still just like, this is really hard. Like, it takes me a few days to get it up to speed again. Yeah, so. it's, it's tough when it, yeah, you'd have to practice it every day to be able to just call on it. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't really uh, pull it out in the jam sessions too much. How did you learn that? Do you have like a, a <laughs> slow down type of, of software? Is that how you approach those things? Yeah, Audacity okay. is the one I use. Yeah, me yeah. too. Yeah, it's good. Okay. Yeah, it's good for that. Is that how you learn most things? Things that you transcribe, yeah, yeah, and I got I was on a kick um, transcribing mandolin for a while mm-hmm. a few years ago. That was really cool. I think the thing I've realized in the last year or the last few months or whatever is that like I transcribe I've transcribed a lot over the years, and it's always really helpful. But if it doesn't feel good, part of what I've transcribed, I don't really force it because okay. you know if I'm not gonna like naturally improvise it, then 
I've got a, you know, I think I'm very stubborn, like I said, and I try and force <laughs> yeah. things to fit on the banjo, right. but sometimes it's just, I got to think, find my own thing that's like more comfortable and You have to know accessible. when to give up sometimes. Kind of, yeah. And it's hard because it's like, you want to be able to do that thing note for note that the fiddle player just did or, you know, and, and my band, I always try and like, all right, David plays something really cool. I, I've got to learn it. Right. But it's like, well, David can't roll, you know, in <laughs> the same way. Yeah. So you got to kind of work to the instrument a little bit. That's very cool. Yeah. Another thing that I really liked on the new album is, and this is, oh, I'm I'm not remembering the title. What's the the waltz time song? Um, there's a fast one, barefoot in jail. So. It's 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 relatively quick. It's silly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. You had some really cool stuff that you do on there. I really like it. And oh, um, I was wondering, it occurred to me after I heard that, like, I never actually work on playing in three. Mm. And I think it's probably, I don't know, maybe it's just me that it never occurs to me to sit <laughs> and, and work on actually playing in three. Is that some, what do you do? Is that something that you just have to make time for? Yeah, that's a tough one. We have a couple power waltzes in our set. Usually mm -hmm. um, another one, Jack of Diamonds, we've been playing for a while, and that's always good too. Uh, I think if I don't practice improvising on them, then I they get really stuck. I get really tied up. So I, I just sit there, you know, with a metronome and, and practice some things and or wor like working out solos is really great for a starting place you know mm -hmm. like I'll work up a solo and I might not play that exact solo on the stage or whatever but I know I can you know so yeah and over time yeah mm -hmm. and that's the thing with playing gigs every night is like you're soon gonna even if you make up a great solo you're gonna get sick of it so quickly because you yeah. you played it last night and all the guys that are on the stage heard it last They've night they've heard it yeah, yeah so it's like there's this, it's a hard balance I think that's the thing I'm sure once you've been doing it for 50 years, performing, you you really know where your line is and where your comfort level is and how to push it. And I'm sure I'm still like, you know, oh, I can, I think Figuring I can do it out. tonight, you know, but then I fall off the wagon, so to speak. Uh, or is it more about like not being able to do it or is it more like um, on a certain night, you're just not very inspired for some reason? And this, that's when yeah. you're like, all right, I know I can play this one. Yeah. Might as well just do the, the thing that I know what to do. Yeah, yeah. And certain songs lend themselves a bit more. Uh, our, so a lot of our stuff is very highly arranged, you know, within the yeah. song that stops or there's mm -hmm. little dynamic things or whatever. And so sometimes the song is just calling for the same thing. It's almost like I think of a, the solo as less of a solo and more of a part. Because, right. you know, either it's really short like or it's just... chamber music. Or yeah, something. or it's just really weird. And, like, uh, overall, I want the music to sound really good, you uh -huh. know? So there's a hard balance with like certain songs is a freedom and it's a bit more in the bluegrassy vein and of course it's gonna you're gonna improvise stuff and some nights it's gonna be really good and some nights it's gonna yeah. be really bad yeah. <laughs> and it doesn't really matter you know but I'm sure it depends on the the venue and the audience yeah. as well how you, the sound check went you know <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah totally. all those things um let's talk about your actual instrument you were cool. mentioning before we 
started about your your armrest, and I'll let you. Um, yeah. Now that we've talked about repeating yourself on stage, I'll let you repeat <laughs> yourself and say what you told me about that, and go through your yeah. your instrument and tell us what you have and what you like about it, or cool. and all that stuff. Yeah. Um. I'm really bad with this side of things. I was wondering if this would come up, but um, this is well, a five-string banjo. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, it's alright. It was made by Robin Smith. I bought it from a guy off eBay, so I, I didn't play it before I bought it, and I bought it maybe 13, 14 years ago, something like okay. that, because I needed a better banjo, and I was in New Zealand, and there aren't really banjos there yeah. that, are, that are above the So this was the, the direct upgrade from your, your teacher's dad, that banjo, this was yeah, what you got right after this that? Yeah, this was almost, there was one in between that lasted about a year, that was okay. a 1970 Ibanez banjo, that actually is still... Going around, uh, another young banjo player that lives in New Zealand is now playing that one. So it's kind of oh, cool. It's great. getting the handoff. Um, but yeah, this was the next banjo. So this is my third banjo I've ever had. And I've yeah, I've just played it in so much. You know, mm-hmm. that um, there, there are things I love about it. I love that it, um, it can do scrugs and it can also do single string stuff and... I've definitely played other banjos that sound better on fireball male down the neck, but okay. they don't do the forkadere up the neck. You know, they, they won't yeah. do like everything that I like to do on a on a show. So this is kind of the in-between. Also, it's just, um, you know, it's a $3,000 banjo or something. So if it does get broken, it's yeah. not the end of it's the world. It's not the price of a, of a house or exactly. something like yeah. that. Yeah. So that's important for me to- touring around so much, but... Is that a maple? I can't see the back it's, of it or anything. Is it a maple mahogany. banjo? It's mahogany. Okay, yeah. I know that. <laughs> You've been told that it's <laughs> I've mahogany. I've been told it's mahogany. <laughs> I, well, this isn't really to do with the banjo, but the other day, was, the last gig our band played, my fifth string peg fell out. and it Popped was completely out of the neck? completely out of the neck. While and you we were, were playing? On, yeah, we'd just finished song three. I was tuning up for song number four uh-huh. of a two-set gig. Oh, no. It wouldn't go back in. You know, usually <laughs> these things go back in. You just stick back in and put yeah. the string on and the string yeah. tension holds it there. It wasn't. I don't know if there's a humidity or, or just the, the hole had, I guess, gotten too big. So, so what did you do? So I played the gig with four strings. And Are you serious? Yeah, the whole gig. And we even did banjo fiddle. Like we we break down and do one tune that's just banjo fiddle. And I was like, yeah, let's just do it. It'll be fine. Wow. And it sounded a little bit strange, but you'd be surprised as to how... The, with the band playing as well, and you can still hear the first string kind of popping with the rolls. And I was ghosting. Obviously, I was I, I was just playing like I normally play. Yeah, but there was just no. You'd be screwed string. up if you just didn't move your thumb. For yeah. A while. yeah. So yeah. Oh, was, that's incredible. Was fine. Yeah. But you're, you're a hero. <laughs> that, it was. That's incredible. It was also kind of a, a low pressure gig in some ways. So it would have been okay. different if it was the Roman Auditorium, perhaps. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully, there you would have been able to find another banjo from someone in the neighborhood. To, yeah. To, rush over to you yeah oh, that's funny <laughs> yeah um so what what's the armrest i, I threatened oh, armrest, to make you talk about yeah, it again the armrest so. is made by a guy named ed and i forget his last name but he was um he came up to us at a bluegrass festival in florida and yeah. had it um ready made for me a very kind gentleman and contacted me through facebook and said hey i make these great armrests and they're way more comfortable than the metal ones uh-huh. and i was like yeah well, that makes sense you know it, well and it's not ma- i don't think you said what it is made out of it's a it's a wooden armrest yeah it is mahogany so you matched it to my banjo oh um, yeah very cool i'm pretty sure yeah so yeah that's awesome and i don't know what this tail piece is but this bridge is great this is a scorpion bridge a lot yes. of people using yeah yeah so um, they're fantastic. He very kindly shipped me a couple 
few months back. So. Silvio, yeah. Silvio, yeah. Great guy. Yeah. Is that a radiused fingerboard? It is. It's like the least amount you can, you know. Yeah. So it's just a little bit. But I noticed that I've recently bought another banjo, TB1, and it's oh, not radiused. Fun. It's cool. It's really cool. And again, it sounds great, fiber mail and stuff. So mm -hmm. phew, this is nice. But um, yeah, it's not radius, so it's very hard to get to do the transition there. Do you feel like the TB1 does not have what you said about this one, the the versatility? I think to a degree, but I think also that it's just I'm really finding it hard to not play this one. Mm -hmm. I'm so steeped in it and, uh, you know, I don't know, when you play as a teenager for five, six hours a day for years and years and years on the exact same instrument, it's really, I find it really hard to not play this you banjo. bond with it, yeah. Yeah, as I know the response, I know kind of exactly how it works, you know. Yeah, if it, I mean, so. if it's working for you, then don't. Yeah, don't there are, there it, are issues, you know, <laughs> but all banjos, I think, have little issues. In yeah, I mean, it's not like the fifth string pops out on it or anything. <laughs> no, no, so yeah, it's good. Never, that would never happen. <laughs> so you fixed it, though. Yeah, what, so there's... Like, Guy. Drop some glue in there or something? No. So this guy, I use in, uh, he's in Massachusetts, Dave Dick. He's a fantastic luthier, um, works on a lot of guitars with okay. banjos as well. And he, he basically made a plug, a mahogany plug that like inserted in there. So then yeah. it, there was no hole. And then he re sounded like it was a, a bit of a pain. Oh man. <laughs> but um, it seems, seems good now. I just got it back a few days ago. So that's um, why we leave those things to the <clears throat> professionals. Yeah. And, uh, don't try to do them ourselves. Yeah, really. Home. Don't do this at home, kids. Yeah. <laughs> what about like uh, picks or microphones or anything like that? Do you have preferences so about I that? So I am. I do. Uh, so you probably know a friend of mine, Gabe Hirschfeld. Probably. I've not met him in person, but I would love to. He's 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 funny on the internet. I'll, yeah. I'll, I think I've said before he's my favorite terrible bluegrass Photoshop artist or <laughs> yeah. something like that. Have you seen his right. his photo mashups? I have seen does? some of them, yeah. yeah. Yeah, they're great. Yeah. Raphael Stanley is a right. personal favorite of mine. He's wearing the Ninja Turtle bandana. That's amazing. So, yeah. Yeah. So go ahead. So, but, so he's uh, he's kind of like my, my Boston banjo tech buddy. He, yeah. you know, he helps me out. I mean, maybe not with the fifth string popping out, but other little things that go wrong with this banjo. He's there and he... Um, always use these picks these are overlate national picks the yeah. old ones yeah. they're kind of hard to find and i always just thought that's a load of garbage you know like your picks don't matter that much i've got these great i was using hoffmeyers or you know yeah. even cheaper than that and it never bothered me up until about two years ago at joe val bluegrass festival yeah. um this guy who uh, collects these and kind of um, re-scrubs them and makes them better, okay. refurbishes them, if you will, sure, sure. Uh, gave me a set. And so they're like $120 or $100. They're pretty expensive to buy, but he just gave them to me. And okay. now I'm addicted, you know? Oh, so it's no. like one of those things. Somebody gave me cocaine for the first time, and now I can't not have these picks. <laughs> so, yeah, I use these, <laughs> and I love them. They just give you a bit more clarity and, and volume and something, you know? Huh. It is. It's subtle, but... It makes a difference. I hate hearing stuff like that because the more people who tell me that, now it just means that I probably have to, I don't know, start saving up my pick money. Yeah. Eventually. Yeah. The Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast is brought to you by our official sponsor, Deering Banjos. Since 1975, Deering has firmly established themselves as the banjo specialists, creating some of the best five-string banjos available today. Artists who use Deering banjos include five-string legends such as Jens Kruger, Allison Brown, Ryan Cavanaugh, Terry Baucom, Eddie Agcock, Rhiannon Giddens, Mark Johnson, 
Tony Trishka, and many others. After being in business for over 40 years, Deering has always focused on two things, the quality of their product and their renowned customer service. Whether you have been playing all your life or just starting out on banjo, Deering offers a huge array of options at every price point, as well as truly personal customer service. Even if you don't play a Deering banjo currently, their website is still stacked with great useful information on banjo maintenance, playing tips, events, news, and more. So check out their site at DeeringBanjos.com or give them a call on their toll-free number at 800-845-7791 to discover the perfect Deering banjo for you. And of course, tell them that the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast sent you. What about the thumb pick? Is that thumb a pick, thumb pick, blue chip? Blue chip, yep. Um, like it. I, I just, yeah. you know, yeah. I go through phases where I don't, I'm not very ex- uh, exploring in these types of like, in trying other banjos, trying other picks, trying other string gauges. I, I just kind of have what I have, you know. It sounds um, like at least for armrests and finger picks, it takes someone literally to coming to you <laughs> and saying, here, I'm giving this to you yeah. and try it out. Yeah, that's exactly. But yeah. you're But yeah. you're sold. That's cool. Yeah. Why don't you demo them for us? Can we hear yeah, a little sure. bit of something? Yeah, sure. I know. Yeah, well, you said, like, do as much demo as you want. Yeah, well. play a lot. Yeah. Every time I tune my fifth string now, I'm thinking, uh-oh, oh, it's going to fall out. You're, you're scarred. And it is actually slipping, but I think it's just the string. This might be a uh-oh. edit chunk for you. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm nervous for you. I know. I'm like, is my eye going to get I'm glad you're wearing here? glasses, yeah. <laughs> so that like squinty, like squinty I know. face. Okay, well this is more in tune. Is your shirt a a rabbit with a saddle on it? What on earth yeah, is your shirt? Yeah, it's the Punch Brothers. This is an old, oh, um, the old, old design. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah, I've not seen cool. that one before. Yeah, I think it's a collector's item now. <laughs> Apparently, I kind so, of tuned today. So, yeah. BB's wearing a collector's item T-shirt, which means <laughs> if you're out there and you have T-shirts to give to her, so that she can start having new T-shirts, <laughs> yeah. she really needs them. Yeah. So, show up to her shows and and give her T-shirts. Yeah, I'm Please. same way with clothes shopping. I don't go clothes shopping, and people just get get things to me. Uh, How do I get this arrangement going? You got Yeah, if you're in a band where somebody else cares about how the band looks and is willing to outfit the band, then you just hands off. That's great. (laughs) Our guitarist fiance, Caitlin, is um, she's just really good at that sort of thing. So she takes us all out and is like, "This color for you. Don't not these pants. Don't ever do that." (laughs) Yeah, I actually was in a band like that. Do you know? uh, do you know Lindsay Lou? Oh, in, yeah. In you were in that band? Yeah, nice. when they lived in Michigan here. Yeah. And it was a little bit like that. I don't know how many times she had to, like, tie my ties for me <laughs> before a, a show or yeah. someone had to bring me a shirt because I didn't have any nice shirts or anything yeah. like hip. that. Yeah, hip. got to look hip these days is the thing. And that's obviously not my strong point. So <laughs> I don't know. you I got the good outfit going on here. <laughs> I have the perfect outfit for a podcast. Yes, I'll, yeah. I'll agree with, with that. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> you got to... Radio voice or what's so a yeah. You you survive yeah, a good face for radio. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um I know this is scary, isn't you've it? You've survived like, uh, the great retuning of twenty nineteen. Yeah, we'll see. Um let's see what I can play.
very unhappy fisturing right now. <laughs> yeah, it's fighting you. Yeah. So I just strung it, it up wrong. <laughs> well, when it when it popped out of the bridge earlier, did that move your bridge? Because sometimes oh, that can happen. Have, yeah. Like, is it not centered anymore? Well, it's okay. I think it's just because... It's just I'm, being fussy. Yeah, I didn't put it through. I don't know how people restring here, but, like, usually you can go th- twice through. Uh-huh. Yeah, and I'm, like, kind of... I like to... T- I change my strings kind of a lot, so I just like to go once through, so then it's easy to take yeah, them off. Yeah, when you undo And then it. they slip yeah. a lot, you know, so... Yeah. <laughs> what have you been working on lately? Is there any um, particular techniques that you've discovered that are yeah. extra cool? You know what? One thing I've been loving is um, doing this. Just scale up. And, um, you know, when I get warmed up and go a little faster, but doing that, um, just up the four note arpeggio up and down mm-hmm. is like so, such a great warm up, such a great thing to. To like work through. So, so you're doing the four notes up and down, and then going through like the diatonic chords. Yeah, is, is that what you're so, doing there? Yeah, like so. G, A minor seven, B minor seven, C major seven, D seven, E minor seven, F sharp half diminished, and going up the neck, and you know, and G. But it, so then the next thing that I've been doing, I don't know if you've done this before, but it's so hard. But like. Uh, really fun is doing double notes so yeah and it's hard you know it's like hard to line it all up but i'll try and do that a little bit too when you Um, do single string are you strictly a thumb index person i am i know there's two schools are you a three (sighs) i'm whatever i think i can get away with uh-huh. Um, I, I was, I was thumb index mostly. And then I did one of these episodes with Chris Pandolfi and he, oh, cool. he's given, he's very cerebral with these things and he, uh-huh. he really thinks through his ergonomics Yeah, and yeah. he's sold on mixing in the third finger for right. a lot of that single string. So mm-hmm. there are definitely some situations where that seems to be a better fit. Mm-hmm. And it's it's tough to explain which situations that it that right. is, but it just feels better mm-hmm. sometimes. And and I don't know if you have this difficulty. Me with single string, it's it's tough for it for one thing to be fast enough, but for also mm-hmm. it not to uh, sound very choppy. Yeah. So that's so hard. Yeah. Yeah, it's very difficult. <clears throat> so the the thing that you were just demonstrating. Yeah. Do you have ways that you've already integrated that into your, into, your improvising playing. or your playing? Yeah, um, it, it it's harder to kind of find homes for it, but like so maybe um, on a tune like Temperance, really, even you know, just maybe yeah. not doing every chord scale on because it wouldn't sound very musical, but something like. A, You know, just say, trying to like yeah. think about those shapes, especially the ones that have like the color. You adding the nine um, on top of that can be nice, and just a different way to think about. It. Or even you know, on the G, instead of thinking just G arpeggio, thinking like uh, B minor, because that's really like G nine, yeah. G major nine. So things like that, 
just and it's like a nice thing to just try and see different shapes because mm-hmm. I find I don't know about you but I find that like I get stuck in working in small um, you know steps so like stepwise kind of improvising like I can do this all day oh yeah but, I see I would never like improvise necessarily like a longer across the st- yeah yeah bigger jumps and and I guess that's a kind of a natural tendency with the banjos because like your range is so small and that it's you're all gonna kind of clustered work. together yeah, yeah you're gonna go up a, a tone or a two tones you know mm-hmm. at a time you're gonna work in these small little areas but it gets a little bit like yeah just finding ways to kind of stretch out the the options that you would reach for yeah and um, if nothing else it's a very good right hand exercise yeah. too it really gets right, you right because this one especially feel like, for the strings that one is so hard like going across single string and then just keep yeah. going like can you go across all four strings really fast it's so hard <laughs> now I'm like warmed up a little bit more I can do it a little bit faster yeah. but you put the click on and it's so hard and another thing I've been trying to do is offbeat doubles actually my husband came up with this one he's a guitarist so he's thinking differently than a banjo player would but a lot of people do it but yeah just doing like so if you imagine the downbeat i should count three four one and that's a really nice thing if you can work it into your improvising on a tune um and just doing like you know, oh, it's really hard to get in and out of, but I feel like that's, A, really good for a technique. For me personally, I find it so hard, so I think it must be good for me, you know? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You're forging new neural pathways yeah, or, yeah. or Whatever something. doesn't want to happen is the thing I should be doing, probably. Right. <laughs> At least if you're stubborn. Right. Uh, like <laughs> yeah. like you. <laughs> yeah. Not, yeah. Like most musicians, I think there's got to be like the itch, you know? <laughs> Yeah, there's, I mean, once you get to a certain level where you are, it, the times where you can feel yourself accomplishing more is harder to come by than when you're starting and everything's new and everything you, you do yeah. is like such an achievement. Yeah. It's nice to be able to still conquer things right. from, from time to time. It can be hard to, because there, there is so much to, you could practice, you know, when, it's, mm-hmm. when you get to a certain level where it's like, wow, I could I could work in the key of E, I could work on single string, I could work really fast, I could work really slow, I could write a tune, I could, uh, you know, there's just endless amounts of things you can yeah. do. So it is, it can be overwhelming to like, just, let's just play a fiddle tune and practice it and be excited about that one thing that you're working on. I've, I think in the last year or so I've gotten, maybe it's because I'm getting older, it's like I'm getting better at being less crazy when I'm practicing and being like, I must do all these things. To just being like, I'm just going to play for 15 minutes and have a good time. <laughs> well, I'm older than you and I still haven't figured it out. I, I'll just start doing something and like, no, I, I suck at that. I'm going to do this other thing. No, I suck at that too. And uh, yeah, no, it's hard, it's it's hard to be focused. And yeah. So that's cool. I know this is kind of a, a can of worms, but what are, who do you consider your main influences now? For banjo, I, yeah, um, I guess, I guess, yeah, or not or banjo. Like, yeah. what what type of music do you do you really like, or do you feel like you maybe even emulate a little bit? Yeah, um, it's funny, you know. Like people are like, "What are you listening to lately, or whatever?" And I, I honestly just <laughs> I listen to Radio New Zealand. <laughs> you know, like yeah, music is. I do listen to a lot of music, but it's less. Um, it feels more like a chore a little bit. But for a bit, for when I'm sitting down to practice with people that I would love to sound like, um, mm-hmm. Baylor is huge. Sure. Gnome is huge. 
Alison Brown, um, yeah. J.D. Crow for the more trad stuff yeah. um, for banjo. But yeah, in the last maybe five or so years, I've been transcribing other instruments like Tony Rice a little bit. Yeah, but, yeah. But um, getting super into mandolin, transcribing mandolin stuff. So Dominic Leslie is one of my favorite young Ooh, mandolin yeah. players, and um, just really tasteful. Um, and I like. I mean, you can't. You might transcribe, you know, a two-bar phrase or something that he plays, and like part of like six notes work well you know because maybe the range isn't so good or the shift isn't comfortable yeah. but taking those six notes and just like really making something out of it was it like this isn't yeah i'd but love this to hear a, some of this that was a phrase um that actually it's gonna sound like kind of creepy like i'm stalking all these young men <laughs> players um <laughs> the guy that plays with brian sutton i'm forgetting his name casey campbell oh all right uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, this is his name i'm pretty sure Anyway, so he, he, you know, it's just like from a YouTube thing, just like. So it's in the key of G, but on the C chord. So you're starting off just kind of like temperance real, building low ground. Yeah. And yeah. then doing that. They got the F sharp in there, which is super cool. And then the B flat, it's like so. It's Lydian dominant, you know? Yeah. It's like it's so hip. Really I would hip. never think to do yeah. that. And I probably wouldn't hear another banjo player doing that. Maybe better. That's the cool <laughs> yeah, that's the cool thing about it is that if you bring those six notes or whatever it is yeah. to the banjo, that's it's kind of yours then. You've you've right. successfully stolen it. Yeah. yeah. And it is everyone's doing that anyway. Of course. Yeah. Of course. So yeah. What are the recordings that you're proudest of your own playing on? Oh, good question. Well, d the most recent album, I'm pretty happy with it, yeah. how that sounds. Yeah, and, it's so good. But yeah, we um, as a young band, I think we <laughs> we and, age and out. And actually, of it. like, I, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I don't think we've you've actually said like what your band is oh, yeah. and the most recent. <laughs> like, we might might as well might specify as well that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, so the band name is Mile Twelve, and the album is City on a Hill. So we recorded it. Um, Pretty recently, I'm bad with remembering what times of years, but it was probably five months ago or something in Nashville with yeah. Brian Sutton producing, and that was an incredible experience. We recorded ten songs, eight of them were the band originals, mm -hmm. and two of them were uh, covers. And yeah, it's a kind of a varied. Um, there's some that are a bit more like progressive sounding. There's a really fast trad song. There's, yeah. Some like that waltz that's kind there's of there's that waltz that's really cool. Yeah, there's, there's one of David's tunes that is a bit more progressive and a little spooky sounding. And I'm yeah. the worst with titles, I'm oh, so yeah, terrible. Right. I can barely remember. <laughs> it's called Rialto, that one. Yeah, 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 that's, yeah, a, that's a neat tune. about these kind of things did brian when he's producing what kind of feedback does he give you personally if anything very uh low-key 
Um, I think more, um, he was so good at dealing with all five of us as an entity because we're nervous and we're young and we're excited and, you know, and being he's been there 50,000 times. Right. It's only our second ever album, second Mm -hmm. time in the studio as a band. And so he, you know, just like the fact that he trusted us and was just like so laid back and it was just so fun was Mm -hmm. exactly what we needed as like a very neurotic young, we're all type A, like organized and over the top. So that was like the perfect hey, let's just, this guy knows what he's doing and he thinks it sounds good, cool. (laughs) I wonder if he intentionally changed, I wonder if he could have been different, but maybe he sensed that that was what you needed. I don't know, it'd just be speculation, I guess. I'm sure, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's like the main thing in a producer that you want, right? It's somebody who's really good at dealing. It's mostly just you're trying to um, bring out the best of you. Yeah. Yeah, And and feel out personalities (laughs) and how you all mesh together and who's Uh ticking off who. Yeah. Yeah. So he was great at that. And then, okay. So when I interrupted you about what you're, you're, you're talking about the, the playing that you're most proud of. And you said like the, yeah, yeah, the, the most recent mile 12 um, is, is of course, great but um yeah i don't know if you're going anywhere else with that what i was just gonna say is that we as such such a young band and now that we've played that stuff live for even just a couple months we listen back to it and we're like oh it's better now (laughs) yeah so um you know it's it's you can't you can never win you can never catch up but it's constantly trying to youtube is the worst because you put something up six months later you look at it and you're like oh my god it's embarrassing um, but yeah, yeah, I guess just whatever is the most recent thing. Um, but that means you've improved, best. right? I hope so. <laughs> it, it would suck to look back and be like, oh, I was way, I can't do that anymore. Uh, right. That would, that would be a worse feeling probably. I, yeah. Actually so. I do that sometimes with, I, I used to voice memo all my practice sessions in school while I was studying jazz Whoa, and I'd okay. listen to some of those, well, Whoa, that's a really cool chord melody that I have no idea. You know, I've forgotten you, you completely how to do. You start to, to yeah. do but that's, that's incredible. There's things that I often sometimes I wonder, like, was I better at that then or something? But I think mm-hmm. there's just something that happens to a musician with all the years of practicing different things that, you know, no matter how hard you practice it as a young musician, the person who's been doing it 40 years longer is just going to be better. You know, there's just more experience. The, yeah. Their ears are better. They're, lis- they're better at listening. They're better at being people in the world. <laughs> you know, it's like you yeah. just kind of get more experience. So. Yeah, they've figured the things out about you don't have to play 16th note machine gun yeah. style <laughs> banjo and it's okay to let it breathe. And, and yeah, they've figured out all the things that you and and certainly me are still trying to discover. So Yeah, yeah and there's no cool. shortcut, I don't think. It's just you have to just do it lots you and, you know, like figure it out on your own. Dang yeah. it. So just but, buying some Ovalate finger picks and a, that's not going <laughs> to magically transform me? Right, well, maybe. <laughs> I could try it. <laughs> yeah. Someone gives, give me a pair. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Yeah. Any other tips? I don't know. I think we're, um, think yeah. we think we know everything we need to yeah. know. Now, yeah, so. so much shedding, but yeah, I don't know. I think that stuff that I've been most into is just the kind of single string, like, f- you know, figuring out. And, yeah. But, and one thing I've realized definitely, and this may sound really obvious, people are going to be like, well, of course, but practicing improvising you know like working on a fill tune i just didn't do that enough and i still don't do it enough you know just actually putting the metronome on 85 and just slowly figuring out what would i improvise if i was in a jam stopping if you like something work work it through you know um so yeah i feel like that's like the thing i'm most into right now is actually practicing it 
it, it's a super tough question, but how do you practice improvising? I mean, I know you just yeah. said that uh, play until you you find something that you think is is cool, and then maybe focus on that. But like, yeah. even before <clears throat> you do that, are you just go for it? And yeah, I think it, it's such a tough thing to describe. I don't know thing. how I would describe it either. But. I yeah, recently I got to go to the Baylor camp that happened. Yeah, yeah and that was so cool because just getting to meet him stuff. I haven't met him, and he's been like the the hero of mine forever. Of course, but, yeah. So, but he said something really interesting. In one of the conversations I had with him is just like, well, he, he actually it was on the phone. He was calling me to ask if I wanted to come, mm-hmm. and I think he was trying to like get a sense of. I don't know who I am and stuff. Yeah. So he's asking me all these questions like, how do you do your single string? And I'm on the phone with Bela being like, well, well, Mr. Bela, I do I do it like this. And and then he, after a while, he's like, oh, well, I guess it doesn't matter as long as you can play the idea that's in your head, right? And, and <laughs> that just, for some reason, that comment really stuck to me. It's like, I guess it doesn't matter. You know, it's like whatever is in your head on that Tuesday morning at 11 when you have the instrument in your hand. So I, I just kind of try and like improvise I think of something, I try it, you know, and that's the perfect place to try it is when you're going slow and when you can stop and fix it if you want to. But, yeah, also just playing, you know. Yeah, but yeah. I think I think that's actually a really important thing to point out because um, are you saying that when you improvise, you're usually trying to play something that already exists in your head and you're trying to play something that you are in some sense already hearing? Yeah, I guess so. Or it might be that, um, you know, I'm playing sort of the melody or whatever, and then I hear just a little, like, rhythmic idea or I hear, mm. or I play something and I, oh, I like that. Can I take it somewhere, right? And so yeah. it's not like every single thing I'm, like, hearing in my head. I know some musicians are like that. but I mean, it could even just be a, <clears throat> a, a split second of, I guess the difference, what I mean is, especially as banjo players, it's so right-hand pattern-oriented yeah. that it's probably easy to, like, disengage your, yeah. brain and just let your fingers do right, weird right. rolls with your chord shapes and like <laughs> yeah. hope for the best. Right. Um, yeah. But you're saying that you, you think a good improviser, like that exists in your head before you even try to get to where your hands are are doing it. Is I that what you do? So. Well, I guess just my thought is that I would just naturally, I'm just going to play just by accident, just because I'm me and you're you. I'm yeah. going to play different things. I'm going to come across different things. And my tastes are me. So what I think is cool is going to be from what you, when you're practicing and you stumble across something, mm-hmm. you might think it's really cool. Maybe I don't think it's cool or the <laughs> other way around, right? So that slowly develops over years and years and years and that's your taste. Yeah. And I think following that, whether you call it taste or whether you call it like ideas or whatever it is that makes you you is like trying to develop that and get good at following that and get good at like, oh, can I can I go there? Can I take this idea? Right. Um, whatever it is and, and develop it. And that's really hard. Th- that's the hardest thing I think as an improviser is like taking an idea and actually being able to stick with it, you know, um, through the chord change or through the tune, especially on mm-hmm. fiddle tunes are so hard because there's already such a strong outline. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I don't know. It's a constant challenge. <laughs> Do you feel like you're pretty risky when you perform? It depends. Yeah. I think generally, yeah. Okay. That's fun though. Yeah, but I, it also means you make mistakes. <laughs> it means you make mistakes, but um, I don't know. I like to tell people if you're if you're not, it's kind of like the Miles Davis thing, right? Like if you're not making mistakes, that means you're not trying hard enough. Yeah. To, to play well, I, I guess, guess so. Yeah. That's how yeah. I think about it. I don't yeah. mind. I don't mind hearing. And I mistakes. think yeah, you go through phases, like yeah. you know, 
I feel like I oh. never hear people like Brian Sutton make mistakes, you know, but he's clearly improvising all the time. So yeah. there's something, but then there's certain musicians who I love just as much who maybe do make some mistakes that are like that level professional. And that's just like them, you know, it's, I guess you develop into who yeah. you are, but there, I'm sure there has to be a certain level of consistency that is very high that like we're trying to find. <laughs> yeah. 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 It can't just be all, all clams. Yeah. Oh, how do people find information about you? online yeah so with the band website is mile12bluegrass.com we that's update spelled it all the time. out it's it's spelled like out. t-w-e-l-v like yeah yeah however you spell 12 the, the 12 the word <laughs> yeah. 12 yeah it's not one two yeah exactly yeah. and we're on facebook and twitter and instagram oh, and stuff. all that stuff yeah. and my website is katherine baunas katherine okay. bb um bb is short for katherine <laughs> is it not really but <laughs> <laughs> i just like to confuse people <laughs> okay and katherine is with a C. C, yeah. All right. Yeah. Everyone followed all that, right? Yeah. Okay. If you Google great. like Banjo BB, Banjo BB, New Zealand, maybe, I'm sure I'll come up somewhere. <laughs> not all those other New Zealander banjo players. Yeah, there's not too many, I guess. Cool. Cool. Hey, thank you so much for sharing all this. this it was really, really fun. fun. Yeah. Okay. I'll awesome. see you around. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks, everybody, for listening to another episode of the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. This one featured B.B. Bownus of the band Mile 12. You heard four different sound clips in this episode, and in order they were I Saw the Light performed by the Hamilton County Bluegrass Band, and that was a television clip from the old New Zealand show called Country Touch. Uh, the next one was from B.B.'s own YouTube clip. Uh, the title of her video, it's uh, she calls it Tony Rice Solo on the Banjo, and it's basically her twinning Tony's guitar solo for uh, Nine Pound Hammer. Uh, the next two clips were both performed by Mile 12, BB's band. Uh, they were Barefoot in Jail and then the instrumental track called Rialto. Thanks again to the Patreon supporters of today's show. That was Bradley Green and Anthony. Thank you guys so much. And for anyone else looking for the Patreon page, it's patreon.com slash banjo podcast. You can always email me any comments or questions, pickyfingersbanjopodcast at gmail.com. And that's going to do it for this episode. I look forward to seeing you next time. Hey, now it's in tune. <laughs> <Fair> <laughs> <enough>. <laughs> it's like just took the whole podcast to get it that way.